Part Five of The Ethical Engineer by Harry Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Greg Marguerite. Part Five of The Ethical Engineer by Harry Harrison. Chapter Ten. They were six days out of Putulco, and their supplies were almost exhausted. The country, once they were away from the mountains, became more fertile, an undulating pompous of green with enough streams and herds of beasts to assure that they did not starve. It was fuel that mattered, and that afternoon Jason had opened their last jar. They stopped a few hours before dark since their fresh meat was gone, and Snarby took the crossbow and went out to shoot something for the pot. Since he was the only one who could handle the clumsy weapon with any kind of skill in spite of his ocular deficiencies, and who knew about the local game, this task had been assigned to him. With longer contact his fear of the caroy had lessened and his self-esteem rose at his recognized ability as a hunter. He strolled arrogantly out into the knee-high grass, crossbow over his shoulder, whistling tunelessly through his teeth. Jason stared after him and once again felt a growing unease. I don't trust that wall-eyed mercenary. I don't trust him for one second, he muttered. Were you talking to me? Micah asked. I wasn't, but I might as well now. Have you noticed anything interesting about the country we have been passing through? Anything different? Nothing. It is a wilderness, untouched by the hand of man. Then you must be blind, because I have been seeing things the last two days, and I know just as little about woodcraft as you do. Ijal, he called, and she looked up from the boiler over which she was heating a thin stew of their last crenoy. Leave that stuff. It tastes just as bad whatever's done to it, and if Snarby has any luck we'll be having roast in any case. Tell me, have you seen anything strange or different about the land we passed through today? Nothing strange, just signs of people. Twice we passed places where the grass was flat and branches broken, as if a caroy passed two or three days ago, maybe more. And once there was a place where someone had built a cooking fire, but that was very old. Nothing to see, eh, Micah? Jason asked with raised eyebrows. See what a lifetime of crenoy hunting can do for the sense of observation and terrain? I am no savage. You cannot expect me to look out for that sort of thing. I don't. I have learned to expect very little from you beside trouble. Only now I am going to need your help. This is Snarby's last night of freedom, whether he knows it or not, and I don't want him standing guard tonight, so you and I will split the shift. Micah was astonished. I do not understand. What do you mean this is his last night of freedom? It should be obvious by now, even to you, after seeing how the social ethic works on this planet. What did you think we were going to do when we came to Uppsala? Follow Snarby like sheep to the slaughter? I have no idea what he is planning. I just know he must be planning something. When I ask him about the city, he only answers in generalities. Of course, he is a hired mercenary who wouldn't know too much of the details, but he must know a lot more than he's telling us. He says we are still four days away from the city. My guess is that we are no more than one or two. In the morning I intend to grab him and tie him up, then swing over to those hills there and find a place to hole up. I'll fix some chains for Snarby so he can't get away. Then I'll do a scout of the city. 
You are going to chain this poor man? Make a slave of him for no reason? I'm not going to make a slave of him. Just chain him to make sure he doesn't lead us into some trap that will benefit him. This souped-up Caroy is valuable enough to tempt any of the locals, and if he can sell me as an engine mechanic slave, his fortune is made. I will not hear this, Micah stormed. You condemn the man on no evidence at all just because of your nasty-minded suspicions. Judge not, lest ye be judged yourself. And you play the hypocrite as well, because I well remember you telling me that a man is innocent until proven guilty. Well, this man is guilty, if you want to put it that way, guilty of being a member of this broken-down society, which means that he will always act in certain ways at certain times. Haven't you learned anything about these people yet? Ijao! She looked up from contented munching on a crenoy, obviously not listening to the argument. Tell me, what is your opinion? We are coming soon to a place where Snarby has friends or people who will help him. What do you think he will do? Say hello to the people he knows. Maybe they will give him a crenoy. She smiled in satisfaction at her answer and took another bite. That's not quite what I had in mind, Jason said patiently. What if we three are with him when we come to the people, and the people see us, and the Caroy? She sat up, alarmed. We can't go with him. If he has people there, they will fight us, make us slaves, take the Caroy. You must kill Snarby at once. Bloodthirsty heathen! Micah began in his best denunciatory voice, but quit when he saw Jason pick up a heavy hammer. Do you understand yet? Jason asked. By tying up Snarby, I'm only conforming to a local code of ethic, like saluting in the army or not eating with your fingers in polite society. In fact, I'm being a little slipshod, since by local custom I should kill him before he can make us trouble. It cannot be. I cannot believe it. You cannot judge and condemn a man upon such flimsy evidence. I'm not condemning him, Jason said with growing irritation just making sure that he can't cause me any trouble. You don't have to agree with me to help me. Just don't get in my way. And split the guard with me tonight. Whatever I do in the morning will be on my shoulders and no concern of yours. He is returning, Ijal hissed, and a moment later Snarby came up through the high grass. Got a siervo, he announced proudly, and dropped the animal down before them. Cut him up. Makes good chops and roast. We eat tonight. He was completely innocent and without guile, and the only thing guilty about him was his shifty gaze, which could be blamed completely on his crossed eyes. Jason wondered for a second if his assessment of the danger was correct, then remembered where he was and lost his doubts. Snarby would be committing no crime if he tried to kill or enslave them, just doing what any ordinary decent slave-holding barbarian would do in his place. Jason searched through his toolbox for some rivets that could be used to fasten the leg irons on the man. They had a filling dinner, and the others turned in at dusk and were quickly asleep. Jason, tired from the labors of the trip and heavy with food, forced himself to remain awake, trying to keep alert for trouble both from within and from without. When he became too sleepy, he paced around the camp until the cold drove him back to the shelter of the still warm boiler. Above him the stars wheeled slowly, and when a prominent one reached the zenith he estimated it was midnight or a bit after. He shook Micah awake. You're on now. Keep your eyes and ears open for anything stirring, and don't forget a careful watch there. He jerked his thumb at Snarby's silent form. 
Wake me up at once if there's anything suspicious. Sleep dropped like a heavy curtain, and Jason barely stirred until the first light of dawn touched the sky. Only the brighter stars were visible on the eastern horizon, and he could see a ground fog rising from the grass around them. Near him were the huddled forms of the two sleepers, and the farthest one shifted in his sleep, and he realized it was Micah. Sleep fell away instantly, and he bounded out of his skin covers and grabbed the other man by the shoulders. What are you doing asleep? he raged. You were supposed to be on guard. Micah opened his eyes and blinked. I was on guard, but toward the morning Snarby awoke and offered to take his turn. I could not refuse him. You couldn't what? After what I said? That was why. I could not judge an innocent man guilty and be a party to your unfair action. Therefore, I left him on guard. You did, did you? Jason grated with rage and pulled an unfelt handful of hair from his new-grown beard. Then where is he? Do you see anyone on guard? Micah looked in a careful circle and saw only the two of them and the awakening Ijal. He seems to have gone. He has proven his untrustworthiness, and in the future we will not allow him to stand guard. Jason raged, drew his foot back for a kick in the local reflex, then realized that he had no time for such indulgences, and dived for the steam-mobile. The firelighter worked at the first shot for a rare change, and he lit the boiler. It roared merrily, but when he tapped the indicator he saw the fuel was almost gone. There would be enough left in the last jug to take them safely before whatever trouble Snarby was planning arrived. But the jug was gone. That tears it, Jason said resignedly after a hectic search of the Karoi and the surrounding plain. The water of power had vanished with Snarby, who, afraid as he was of the steam engine, apparently knew enough from observing Jason fueling the thing that it could not move without the vital liquid. An empty feeling of resignation had replaced Jason's first rage. He should have known better than to trust Micah with anything, particularly when it involved an ethical point. He stared at the man, now calmly eating a bit of cold roast, and marveled at the unruffled calm. This doesn't bother you, the fact that you have condemned us all to slavery again. I did what was right. I had no other choice. We must live as moral creatures or sink to the level of the animals. But when you live with people who behave like animals, how do you survive? You live as they do, as you do, Jason, he said with majestic judgment, twisting and turning with fear and unable to avoid your fate no matter how you squirm. or. You live as I have done, as a man of conviction, knowing what is right and not letting your head be turned by the petty deeds of the day. And if one lives this way, one can die happy." "'Then die happy!' Jason snarled and reached for his sword, but settled back again glumly before he picked it up. "'To think that I ever thought I could teach you anything about the reality of existence here when you have never experienced reality before, nor ever will until the day you die!' You carry your own attitudes, which are your reality, around with you all the time, and they are more solid to you than this ground we are sitting upon. For once we are in agreement, Jason. I have tried to open your eyes to the true light, but you turn away and will not see. You ignore the eternal law for the exigencies of the moment, and are, therefore, damned. The pressure indicator on the boiler hissed and popped out, but the fuel level was at the absolute bottom. Grab some food for breakfast, Ijal, 
Jason said, and get away from this machine. The fuel is gone, and it's finished. I shall make a bundle to carry. We will escape on foot. No, that's out of the question. Snarby knows this country, and he knew we would find out that he was missing at dawn. Whatever kind of trouble he is bringing is already on the way, and we wouldn't be able to escape on foot. So we might as well save our energy. But they aren't getting my handmade supercharged steam-mobile," he added with sudden vehemence, grabbing up the crossbow. Back, both of you, far back. They'll make a slave of me for my talents, but no free samples go with it. If they want one of these hot-rod steam-wagons, they are going to have to pay for it. Jason lay down flat at the maximum range of the crossbow, and his third quarrel hit the boiler. It went up with a most satisfactory bang, and small pieces of metal and wood rained down all around. In the distance he heard shouting and the barking of dogs. When he stood he could see a distant line of men advancing through the tall grass, and when they were closer large dogs were also visible, tugging at their leashes. Though they must have come far, in a few hours they approached at a steady trot. Experienced runners in thin leather garments, each carrying a short laminated bow and a full quiver of arrows. They swooped up in a semicircle, their great hounds slavering to be loosed, and stopped when the three strangers were within bow range. They notched their arrows and waited with alert patience, staying well clear of the smoking ruins of the Karoi, until Snarby finally staggered up, half supported by two other runners. You now belong to the Hertug Persan, and are his slaves. What happened to the Karoi? he screamed. This last when he spotted the smoking wreck and would have collapsed except for the sustaining arms. Evidently the new slaves decreased in value with the loss of the machine. He stumbled over to it, and when none of the soldiers would help him, gathered up what he could find of Jason's artifacts and tools. When he had bundled them up, and the foot cavalry had seen that he suffered no injury from the contact, they reluctantly agreed to carry them. One of the soldiers, identical in dress with the others, seemed to be in charge, and when he signaled a return they closed in on the three prisoners and nudged them to their feet with drawn bows. "'I'm coming, I'm coming,' Jason said, gnawing on a bone. "'But I'm going to finish my breakfast first. I see an endless vista of Krenoi stretching out before me and intend to enjoy this last meal before entering servitude.' The lead soldiers looked confused and turned to their officer for orders. "'Who is this?' he asked Snarby, pointing at the still-seated Jason. "'Is there any reason why I should not kill him?' "'You can't!' Snarby choked, and turned a dirty shade of white. "'He is the one who built the Devil Wagon and knows all of its secrets. Hertug Persan will torture him to build another.' Jason wiped his fingers on the grass and reluctantly stood. All right, gentlemen, let's go. And on the way, perhaps someone can tell me just who Hertug Persan is and what is going to happen next. I'll tell you, Snarby bragged as they started to march. He is Hertug of the Persanoi. I have fought for the Persanoi, and they knew me, and I saw the Hertug himself, and he believed me. The Persanoi are very powerful in Uppsala, and have many powerful secrets, but not as powerful as the Trozelagoi, who have the secret of the Karoi, and the Jetilo. I knew I could ask any price of the Persanoi if I brought them the secret of the Karoi, and I will. He thrust his face close to Jason's with a fierce grimace. You will tell them the secret. I will help them torture you until you tell. 
Jason put out his toe as they walked, and Snarby tripped over it, and when the traitor fell, he walked the length of his body. None of the soldiers paid any attention to this exchange, and when they had passed, Snarby staggered to his feet and tottered after them, shouting curses. Jason did not hear them. He had troubles enough as it was.